How's everyone doing? Great. Glad to hear it, Noel. That is good. Hey, uh, well, extending a welcome to you this morning. If you are visiting, we are really glad that you are with us. Um, if we've not met, my name um, is Isaac. And this morning, uh, I get the chance to continue our So Loved series with you. Hey, uh, who, got into the, who got around for the cleanup last week? Give yourself a round of applause. That was awesome. Jess and I, um, Jess and I, this sounds like a bit of a cop out. We had to run off to put some kids to bed. But as we were driving home, there was just all these people that I knew were new viners flooding the streets of Maryland, picking up rubbish. And it was awesome to see. So uh, good on you guys. Uh, but yes, as said, we're, we're continuing with this So Loved series. Um, and if you're joining us for the first time, it's sort of seeing us work through the bigger story of the Bible, starting at the beginning, right back in Genesis, where uh, we heard a few weeks ago, God so loved that he created. And that's going to see us right through to the back end, into Revelation, where this uh, God so loved he made new. We read of in Revelation, God making all things new. Um, and as we look through this story, we're going to see this common thread. We're going to see time and time again a God whose love for humanity, his desire to reconcile humanity with himself, is apparent from the first page to the last. In fact, it's this deep love, this desire God has to know you and I that really holds the whole thing together. It's the theme that runs through everything, even through the passages that at face value may seem rather unloving, there is this undercurrent of God's desire to reconcile himself with humanity. Um, so hey, just quickly, dig deeper. If you're in year 11 and 12, you would usually head out, except I'm usually there with you and we're working through Genesis, which is what we're doing this morning. So you're hanging in, all right? You get to hang around. I am also going to put, this isn't in my notes, but I'm adding one more little umbrella of grace moment, all right? If I fall asleep standing up this morning, I have a new two-week-old baby. That's not why I'll be falling asleep. Last night... A very friendly gentleman got lost on the way home from the pub and tried to get into our house from about 2 o'clock till 4 o'clock. So anyway, we had some great conversations last night. But um, if I'm all over the place, blame that guy. So anyway, as I said, we're reading from Genesis. Um, and we're looking at the covenant that God makes with Abraham. For God so loved that God promised. And we're going to keep coming back to a particular passage that we see uh, in Genesis 12 verse 2. I'm really sorry, guys. I don't have that iPad. Do you mind flicking the first slide up? 12 verse 2. Uh, God's speaking to Abraham here and he says this, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. Sorry, this is the NLT version. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. Can you turn to the person next to you and say this? You will be a blessing to others. You will be a blessing to others. So we're going to keep coming back to this little phrase here, not just because of its importance in this particular passage, but because as followers of Jesus, that is a really important little phrase for us, that as a part of the family of God, you and I are called to be a blessing to others. 
Um, however, for us to fully understand this Abrahamic covenant, we need to begin a few chapters earlier because the first question would be, why is there a covenant? What went wrong? Why did there need to be a promise? Why did God need to reconcile himself with humanity? And before we do that, I'm just going to pray that. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift of the Bible. And uh, God, we thank you for the truth that we find in it. We thank you that as we just talked about, um, there is this thread of a God who loves humanity more than we would ever be able to understand. So this morning, as, uh, as we read your word, as we seek uh, to know you a little more, God, we pray that you would uh, reveal more of yourself to us, that we would grow in our understanding of your love for us. Amen. Great. All right. Well, a few weeks ago, if you were here, you will have heard um, John share with us, um, for God so loved that he made um, the story of creation. DJ last week shared on for God so loved that he made us the story of humanity. Um, both of these topics covering the early chapters of Genesis. Genesis chapter one, verse 31 Thanks, Dan. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And it was very good. God creates this place for humans to inhabit. He creates these humans in his very image. It says that they are made, they were made in the image of God. And he invites them to partner with him in his plan to see humanity thrive. His plan to see the earth flourish, to be generous and loving. However, if you are at all familiar with this story, you will know that it takes a little bit of a turn. And in chapter 3, we come across what most uh, Bibles title as the fall. Who's heard of this? We read of the fall. We read of humans turning their backs on God, choosing to rebel, stepping away from God's plan and ultimately choosing to create a world structured on their terms. And what we read here is the Bible's explanation on why we are stuck in a world full of greed and corruption and injustice and pain and hurt. This early story in Genesis is unpacking that. And whilst you and I often like to portray Adam and Eve as the beginning of the unravelling, as sort of the first domino uh, that sent humanity into this like sin-filled spiral, the fall story is really about revealing our human condition. It's not just Adam and Eve. It reveals our propensity towards selfishness. It reveals our natural desire to live life on our own terms rather than God's plan. And this word sin that we often associate with the fall, the tree of, the good, of knowledge of good and evil, um, doesn't actually appear in Scripture until the story of Cain and Abel. Um, Genesis 4, verse 6, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, you will be accepted. Sorry, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Uh, and this word sin in Hebrew is a word that is hatar. And it means to fail. Uh, our word of sin has sort of a whole lot of 
uh, religious baggage attached to it. But the word in Hebrew means to fail. It's not articulating some disease that we caught from Adam and Eve, but again, rather our natural disposition to often choose ourselves over others. Our natural tendency to maybe choose bitterness over forgiveness or selfishness over generosity, so on and so forth. But this word sin isn't just failing God's desire for us, but it's also the act of failing those around us. So in some ways, if we were to read this again, we could read it as, but if you do not do what is right, failure is crouching at your door and it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. God is saying to Cain here, don't give in. Cain was really jealous of his brother and God's saying, don't let bitterness defeat you. Don't let it win. Choose to see God in Abel. Choose to see Abel as someone made in the image of God. There is the opportunity to fail here, but don't succumb to it. And unlike Cain, if you know this story, Cain ends up murdering his brother. He fails. Unlike Cain, I've not murdered my brother. But when I bring it back to a concept of just craving selfish desires, I am more than guilty. If I dial that failure back to my own natural tendency to be selfish, then I have failed. And on the scale of killing my brother, right through to treating everyone the way that Christ would, I am often all too comfortable sitting in the middle, seeing somehow that being neutral isn't failing. But that doesn't really work because when we look at this, any time you or I fail to treat someone the way that Jesus would, we've sinned. Qatar, we have failed. And we fail those made in, as we fail those made in the image of Christ, we also fail Christ himself. Because failure isn't just selfishness over generosity, it's apathy over generosity. That is a failure. Failure is choosing to be passive when you have the option of care or concern. It's not just the other end of the scale where doing harm is sin, as we interpret it, but this, would un this passage sort of unpacks the idea of choosing to just be neutral instead of responding in the way Christ would is just as much a failure as it was Cain knocking off his brother. And in the same way, you and I have the chance to bring heaven to earth as we treat people the way that Christ desires this phrase again, to be a blessing to others, in many ways, we too can actually reign hell on earth when we choose to allow our own selfish desires to take precedent. And in these early chapters of Genesis, we see evil reign. So much so that if you're familiar, the story of the flood... God actually says, this has all gone way too bad. I'm going to start again. I'm going to wipe it all out. God sees that humanity has moved on a course that doesn't glorify him. 
We read up until this uh, covenant is made with Abraham, we read of Cain being so jealous of his brother Abel that he kills him. Shortly after, we read of Lamech boasting that he is far more violent than Cain ever was and celebrating in that. We read of the Babylonians building a tower because they want their name to be greater than God's. Yet through it all, this thread of God continuing to try and reconcile humanity with himself is there. The opportunity to return to the good and perfect order that he intended. But time and time again, even in these few chapters, humanity rejects that. Until we get to chapter 12, and this is where Abraham comes in. Essentially, we see God say to Abraham, Abraham, I want to make a covenant with you. I want to partner with you and through you and your family, the world will see what God is like. The world will experience heaven on earth. The world will experience life as the way that I intended it to be. Be a blessing. Now, I know we've rushed over a bunch of these sort of early Genesis stories. If some of those are unfamiliar to you, I really encourage you to to have a read through them. And no doubt you will see this thread of God endeavoring to reconcile humanity with himself. But for now, we're going to fix our attention uh, on Genesis chapter 12, the call of Abram. Um, Side note before we get into this. Abraham starts off as Abram and doesn't become Abraham until about chapter 17. God makes another covenant with him and changes his name. But just to make things easy, he's Abraham for all of today. Okay? He's... So chapter 12, the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is the promise that God makes to Abraham. So why Abraham? We've identified the problem in these chapters 3 through 11. Humanity choosing their own way over God's, this disconnect between humanity and God. But why Abraham? There were plenty of people that came before him and plenty that came after. What was it about this man that caused God to make his restoration covenant for humanity with him? And ultimately, it's Abraham's family line that we see Jesus come through. So there's a couple of verses that I want us to hone in on today that I think uh, are a ch- uh, highlight why it was Abraham and some strengths of his character, but also are a challenge for us this morning as well. So verse 1, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Um, if you were here in December, uh, you may have heard me share a message on Abraham and Isaac and the sacrifice uh, of Isaac, well, nearly the sacrifice. Um, There's a few little things we're going to repeat here, but they are important, so please just bear with me. Um, But why Abraham? Firstly, on this verse, I want to say he was willing to give up everything he had to follow God. Um, And I say that because in this point in history, 
Abraham lived in a time and a place where your family was everything. Um, you didn't grow up, get a job, move out of home and get married. You grew up and you worked for your father. Um, you got married and you stayed in your father's house. You worked for him, you helped him. And if you were the first born like Abraham, you took over your father's position within the family. So Abraham here was geared to take over everything that his father was responsible for. And in that, Abraham would also be responsible for the, the, caring, the care of his broader family as well. And maybe for some of you, the thought of God asking you to give up your family would be lovely. For Abraham, that was not the case at all. Because he wasn't just giving up his family, he was giving up his reputation. Walking away from your rightful position as the firstborn was unheard of. In fact, it was arguably one of the most dishonouring things you could do in this culture. Saying no to carrying on your father's name and his legacy was unheard of. And culturally, Abraham would have been shunned not just by his family, but those he came into contact with. If Abraham set up shop somewhere else, a question would be, Where's your father? Why have you left your family? Why have you left your tribe? Yet God says, Abraham, I want you to pack up and move. I want you to pack up and leave. And we read in verse 4 that Abraham does it. Abraham says, okay, if that's what God needs me to do, I am in. Maybe God isn't asking you to give up your family or move to a new place. But what about your reputation? What about my rep reputation? Am I willing to risk my reputation to step out in obedience to what it is God's called me to? Am I willing to love at the cost of my reputation? Am I willing to be generous at the detriment of my reputation? Am I willing to share the good news of Jesus regardless of what it might do to my reputation? Maybe God chose Abraham here because he was willing to give up everything. He was willing to step away from his family. He was willing to leave behind what the rest of culture thought of him and pursue what it was Christ had called him into. Jumping into verse 2, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Next Sunday, um, we're going to hear a little more about Abraham's family line. His family went on to become the people of Israel. And God promises Abraham that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. However, Abraham and his wife Sarah at this time, at the time of that promise, were unable to have children. So again, why Abraham? Abraham desired to glorify God, not himself. Uh, we read in chapter 11 that Abraham was mar married to a woman named Sarai and discover a bunch of other information around family line and birthrights and some things like that. But what I want us to look at is Abraham's marriage here to Sarai, who would go on to become Sarah. 
Um, Sarai and Milcah were sisters, and their father Haran was Abraham's younger brother. Um, and sadly, Haran dies, and as was custom in this culture, um, his brothers would take responsibility for the caring of his family. And in this instance, both Abraham um, as the firstborn and his brother would marry the two nieces left behind um, as a way of caring for and bringing them into the family. Now, the story indicates that it was known that Sarai was barren. This is not hidden information. Somehow they were aware of this. And Abraham, as the firstborn, has the first choice in who it is he marries. And there are two sisters here. And Abram chooses Sarai. He has first choice and he chooses to marry Sarah, knowing that she was unable to have children. So keep in mind, Abraham is walking away from his own family line. And he's choosing to marry someone who is unable to have kids, essentially eliminating the chance of his family line, family line continuing on beyond him in any way. And in a culture centred around family, this was huge. Sadly, in this culture, Sarah was considered undesirable as a wife. Yet, Abraham, again, chooses to glorify God before he glorifies himself. He chooses to show the love of Christ. He chooses to see God in Sarai rather than choosing a position of power. He again puts his love above his reputation. Um, if you know any more about this story, it goes on and God promises that they will have a child. We read that uh, Abraham is 100 years old and they are still yet to have a child. And God says, you're going to have kids. You're going to have as many. Your, line, your family line will be as numerous as stars in the sky. And man, that must have been a hard journey for Abraham to have been on after everything he had given up. Uh, jumping down to the back of this verse, I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. This here is a reference back to the story, the Tower of Babel. If you're unfamiliar, there's this group of people who have mastered the art of making bricks. As far as we're aware, they're the first community that have really nailed it. And they decide that they're going to use these bricks to build a huge tower we actually read that they want to build a tower to the heavens so that their name would be great. They're using this as an opportunity for them to, themselves to be glorified. And what we see is God actually disperses this people group. God sort of said, there's a passage that says uh, that God saw that these people could accomplish anything that they worked together in. So God disperses them. He says, hey, Good job for what you're able to do, but the fact that you're pursuing a name for yourself, your priorities are all wrong. So God disperses them, yet ironically here we see God promise Abraham that his name would be great. Unlike the people of Babel, God trusts the character of Abraham. God has seen Abraham give up his family name. He's given up the chance of his own name being carried on through offspring. 
all in order to pursue what he feels is God's call on his life. Abraham is a man who wants the name of God to be glorified far above his own, and God rewards that. And like me, I wonder if you two fall into the trap of pursuing your own greatness. It is really easy to hatar. It's easy to fail. It's easy to fall into the trap of prioritizing a life centered around me, a life centered around making a name for myself and my family, when in fact God asks the exact opposite. God asks me to lay down my own agenda and pride and above all else be willing to put his name first. This last little passage here, jumping down to verse 3 just as we wrap up. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Again, this blessing idea. And I think the So Loved series ties really well into this. I think this passage is a beautiful testament to Abraham's character. God promises to bless Abraham. Promises to make his name great. That a family line of huge proportions would come from him. But before God gives him any of this, God knows that Abraham will be a blessing to the world. It's not a condition of this covenant here, but rather it's nearly a proclamation that God trusts Abraham won't pursue selfishness with what it is that God gives him. He won't hold tight to what it is God gives him, but rather use it to be a blessing. Use it to see the kingdom of God go forth. And much the same, you and I are brought into the kingdom of God to be a blessing. As followers of Jesus, our mandate is in some ways to not fail God and his people. Our, our call is to show love when it's inconvenient. It's to show grace when you're really frustrated. It's to show compassion when it's three o'clock in the morning and some drunk guy is knocking on your door. We're called to be a blessing, to choose to see people as Christ would, even when it's really inconvenient. We're called to go out of our way to show people that there's a God who loves them more than they will ever understand. Whose grace stretches beyond comprehension. A God whose heart is to bless his kids so that they may be a blessing. Just as Abraham was called to be and was. So this series that we're working through so loved... This A Thousand Acts initiative that we have put forward, A Thousand Acts of just loving our community, feed into this idea that we may be a blessing, that you may be a blessing. I'm just going to invite the music team up as we wrap up. But imagine that through your and my desire to serve people, to truly see people the way that God does, God says to you, and all the people on earth will be blessed. 